Pizza? Pizza? Pizza! Hungry for some pizza now? Yeah, that's what we thought. Get yours at Domino's Hawaii. We deliver aloha. The Mothership Podcast is sponsored by Hawaii Surrogacy Center. Start your family with Hawaii's leading surrogacy agency. The Mothership Podcast is sponsored by Hawaii Surrogacy Center. Start your family with Hawaii's leading surrogacy agency. Welcome to the Mothership. It's great to have you here. Steph, Noli, and Brooke in the house with you. Woo-hoo! Well, tonight we are connecting, and for me, reconnecting with an old friend and familiar face. We are connecting with Letha DeCaris. During my days as a reporter, she was an HPD captain and the spokesperson and manager of Honolulu Crime Stoppers, you know, the division that asks for the public's help seeking information in locating and arresting suspects. After 27 years of distinguished service with the Honolulu Police Department, including 14 years as a detective specializing in violent and property crimes in a criminal investigations division. Letha retired from HPD. She was an investigator with the Honolulu Ethics Commission as well. Letha is now the director of civil rights at Oahu Transit Services and also owns her own investigations company called Effective Investigations LLC. Please give a warm welcome and aloha to Letha DeCares. Wow. Welcome. Awesome. Welcome, Lita. It's an honor. But Stephanie, you said, oh, I don't, I reject that whole thing. What is that? (laughs) Long time, long time she met. Yeah, it's been a long time. Oh, small kid time, small kid time. And I was just telling them, and I'm going to share with everybody that I was so bummed when you left HPD because, I mean, I, I told them that, you know, your passion, your passion for, you know, fighting crime, your passion for, you know, you're just the good guy out there, you know, the good force against the evil. And I was just like, oh, please don't leave. No, but you did leave. But you, it seems like you're continuing your passion now. Oh, you know, it's it's just um, the same mission I have, only in a different place. Yeah. It's a mission about making sure people are being treated with respect and dignity, that they're taken care of and people are being treated right. And uh, wherever it was, whether it was at the Ethics Commission, people being treated correctly in the city and county, or now for everybody who's riding on transit and the employees that are getting hired by transit, uh, it's the same thing. So it just happens to be a little bit, it's a chocolate chip cookie, but it's not with walnuts, it's now with macadamia nuts. It's, you know, it's just, it's just a cookie, a different kind of cookie. 27 years with HPD, um, and it's been a long ride for you as well. You know, in your start uh, in getting involved in the force, it's pretty interesting because I read that you came to Hawaii and your original uh, career was a school teacher. You're a public school teacher. 
Yeah, and when the whole thing about the Kealoas came about and I couldn't work in investigations, I ended up going back to school teaching again. So I'm a certified substitute teacher, very popular with the crazy children, by the way. And um, <laughs> it's it's actually been something that I've continued to do all these years because it, uh, it's just all, again, part and parcel of the things we do. You know, the things we do in life, nothing is ever wasted. You just use it in a different way. And as I'm talking to the, like the high school kids, I keep telling them, it's like, you're probably going to have at least three careers. So, you know, embrace that. Uh, you guys are going to have at least three. Uh, but as this new generation is coming in, it's going to be four. That's my prediction. Oh, wow. Things are changing and you're going to have to morph yourself and adapt and use all those skills in your wheelhouse to shift your paradigm and keep moving on. Yeah, and you should know coming from you because, I mean, again, you started off as a public school teacher. You had those skills. You're naturally a caring person. And is it true you you got into HPD as part of a dare? I did. A, a school teacher who was dating my roommate was a, uh, he had been an English teacher at Kailua High School, and he dared me if I could get in. It was right during the time where we were expanding on the island. They were adding, they were trying to double almost the size of the department. And he dared me and I'm really good for a bet. And um, I got in and I actually found that it was a really good match for my skill sets and my desires and my passion in life. So it ended up being, um, it ended up being a great bet. And then the next bet we had was who gets to make Sergeant first? Well, he beat me by six months. And then the next bet we had <laughs> was who gets on the hostage negotiation team first. And we ended up being hostage team partners for 10 years. Yeah, so that was that was really fun. So he and I, our careers dovetailed all those years. He didn't end up staying with my best friend, but uh, they we've all been friends together for years. But so I really appreciated that initial bet all those years ago. Great, and and I don't want to gloss over your your experience, but um, yeah, you're an experienced hostage negotiator. Um, you know, I mean, what what was uh, that like for you? Well, anybody who has children is already a hostage negotiator. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, right. Everybody who's got a two-year-old that they have to try to get to another location, you <laughs> offer them a cookie. See, just in hostage negotiations, we just offer pizzas. So, <laughs> you know, when you've got a two-year-old, you offer a cookie and it works. What's in it for them? What's in it for you? It's, it's how it all works so that you can have a calm resolution. Uh, my, my favorite hostage negotiation case to tell was, um, it was actually the first day I got to go out and it was an escapee from prison and the SWAT team was set up and they had me come in and they had put in the camera. It was in the Pearl City Twin Tower condos and they had put, they drilled in the hold with the camera in the, in the condominium room and, and they said, okay, you get to talk to him. And the guy's name was Boom Boom Stodinger. How could you forget a name like that? <laughs> So I started talking and, and we're, you know, going in and I'm, you know, I, I, because I've got all these kids and I'm used to telling stories to put people to sleep, as it turned out, they heard him snoring and they flashbanged the door and he was sound asleep when they picked him up. So from there ever after, if they wanted someone to go to sleep, I got the call. Mm. Put him, yep. 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 Gosh. Wow. Whatever works. It works. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but I mean, and I mean, you've had to, you know, I mean, learn skills on the job too. I mean, because you played an important role in helping victims, um, you know, 
whether they'd be sexual assault victims, child abuse. Um, how, did, how were you able to learn the skills needed uh, to help people? Well, it's, it's, it's exactly what you do every day. You're an active listener. You care about people and you want to hear what they have to say and what you listen for their needs. And then you try to give them back the power they need to be able to move on and recover. I didn't call them victims. I called them complainants because they were complaining about the treatment that they had. There's a difference. There, there were some people that were truly victims that I had in cases. There's no doubt about it. But the fact of the matter is most of the people that I dealt with were they needed their power returned to them and they needed to do that to be able to honor their own life and be able to move on and be able to fulfill the purpose for their own lives. And that's to live with dignity, pursuit of happiness and peace, right? It's, it's in our constitution. And they just need somebody to do what they can't do for themselves. And that's what we do in law enforcement. We protect and serve. And give them back that opportunity for justice. All of us want justice. Mm -hmm. And as a mother, it must have been so difficult to work in child abuse and, and child abuse cases. You know, it, um, yes, I, it got so, I, I actually was pulling my old case files today and there was a particular case that uh, really bothered me because as I got the interview and, you know, and to get interviews of people, you have to be able to stay very, non-reactive to what they're saying. And I used, in child abuse cases, I was using a, during the time period, all these different sorts of skills have changed and morphed and people are doing things a lot differently. But in those days, we didn't have a huge amount of training and we did a lot by instinct. And I had dolls that I would bring in that would be the relative size of the child that I was dealing with. And one particular father, stepfather, held up the child, the doll, and then proceeded to show me what he had done, which he had punched the child in the spleen and the child's spleen had to be removed. And um, to be able to sit there and watch him as he reenacted what happened. Uh, and that little boy was just darling. I really wanted to adopt him. He was just darling. Oh, he was cute. Uh, it ended up being really heartbreaking. And I, in my personal life, I ended up miscarrying right around that time where I was getting into some really heavy cases. And I determined that my spirit and my heart were just breaking. So I, my husband and I decided to get certified as foster parents. So instead of doing the child abuse cases, I went back to sex assault, which was less traumatic, believe it or not. Um, and we ended up adopting, we got two foster girls, sisters, and we ended up adopting them instead, because I just couldn't uh, work that, those cases like that. It was just too, it was just too much, too much. That, that's a lot though. I mean, to adopt you know, two foster children and for a total of seven children, right? Yeah, my, my oldest is adopted. So three I, I, three I bought, two came with my husband. That was fine and we made two. So, I mean, it's, we were uh, very much a blended family. And you have 11 grandkids. Yes, I do. <laughs> Beautiful. They're, they're way more, well, I, okay, I love my children, but their grandchildren are way better. Okay, way better. <laughs> yeah. well, um, so, Lisa, like, what does it take, like, um, you know, us, you know, most people are emotional. What does it take to do the job that you did when you worked in investigations? 
emotionally? Uh, you end up learning how to compartmentalize. So that means that when you take that information in from whatever you're dealing with, whether it's uh, one of the cases that stays in my head and in my mind, I close my eyes and I'll sometimes see it. It was a drowning of a baby. And um, that particular case, I, I had just had my daughter and she was about the same age as that child. Um, although we had no money, we're living in very, um, very modest house. This was a beautiful home in, in Wailaiki. And I to see that baby at the bottom of the, the pool when I got there was, um, uh, it's forever etched in my mind and that the baby didn't survive. Uh, so you, but you learn how to put those memories and those thoughts in a box and you put that box up on your closet shelf and you don't take it out very often. A lot of people will misunderstand. Um, they'll misunderstand how difficult it is to be in law enforcement because you have to be able to be stoic and you have to be able to be so matter of fact sometimes and it can be very misleading to people. And they don't understand that in that hard exterior that is, that's there to be able to show people have confidence that you know what you're doing and you got it together and I'm, and I'm going to take care of you is somebody who's got a very tender heart inside uh, and you can't show that to a lot of people because it's not safe to do that law enforcement's a very difficult job it was difficult you know in the 80s and the 90s and 2000s today it's exponentially more difficult and I just am so thankful for the men and women that are continuing to take this on because we need good officers supporting our community and protecting our community. And it's difficult times to be in, in law enforcement, very difficult. It's going to get worse before it gets better. What makes you say that? Because people are angry and frustrated and the level of violence that we're seeing across the mainland, we haven't seen here, but uh, we have seen our numbers of you know, the levels of violent crime has increased here on Oahu this last year. We've all noticed it and seen it. I was, I was looking over some crime reports and um, I was looking at the statistics that are going on and the statistics are consistent with, we are seeing an increase in violent crime. Hawaii traditionally has been pretty low in violent crime, incredibly high in property crime uh, due to the drug problems that we have here. Uh, but violent crime has been for, the, for as large as our community is, we've actually been one of the safest places to be. This year, it's there have been some changes to that that have been kind of disconcerting for everybody in the community. So I, uh, I think that that's where I base that uh, sort of a comment. I obviously, I hope for the best, uh, but you know, again, we are, we're in difficult times. And as we watched our, our interest rates go up, or cost of living go up, the cost of gas go up, cost of food go up, and our, our paychecks are not making that same sort of a jump. It's going to be more and more tension for everybody. And we're on the end of this pandemic, which never seems to go away. People are so exhausted by it, and they're frustrated. People that are frustrated, wounded, act like wounded animals. They're not, we're not seeing the best of people right now, sadly enough. Some instances we're seeing amazing things, but 
man, if you're in traffic, people just are not very kind. Yes. You know, I think it's just really desperate times too, right? And I, I wanted to ask you too, as a, as a female in a largely male dominated um, industry, like law enforcement, have you, have you had to face, you know, any kind of discrimination as a female? And, and if so, how'd you deal with it? And do you have any advice for our listeners out there, you know? Uh, oh, yes, I've had to face huge amounts of discrimination, even through the Kealoha case. I mean, I mean, through my whole career, I faced discrimination. And I think that when you're going in an area that's not um, traditional, you're going to face difficulties. And I think for anybody to think that they want to do something that's non-traditional and it's going to be easy peasy lemon squeezy, uh, that's not a really wise mindset to have. You need to be wise enough to know that it's going to be difficult. And then you have to take a look at your own personality and go, do you have what it takes? Uh, I've purposed from the very beginning that I was not going to be suing anybody ever. It was something that I decided personally before I even came in the department. I, I had seen what happened when women were suing departments and I, I respect their choice and their wish to do that and make, and make a difference. And thank God we had Lucille Abreu who was the woman who filed the 1975 lawsuit to change the police department forever so the women could become part of our police department. Thank God for Lucille. I'm glad that was her mission to, to sue and allow not only women to, to come in the police department, but short guys, because that's what that lawsuit changed. You didn't have to be 5'8 anymore. Lucille was all five feet two, by the way. Um, and, um, and then she went on to have five sons uh, what four of which became police officers and each one of them was named Frank, by the way, it was very confusing. <laughs> I'd have told you all stressful police work with every kid, every kid Frank. <laughs> I don't know. Might be kind of wise though, because I call my kids the wrong name all the time. I don't know if you've experienced that, but I tend to go down the line and especially if I'm upset, I call them every wrong name. And now I call my grandchildren my children's name. They think it's hilarious, especially when I'm mad at a particular grandchild that resume resembles that particular child in my life it's mm -hmm. yeah but I mean well times are changing and, and and you know um when you entered there weren't very many female police officers when you first joined HPD um and then then you rose up to the ranks you know and you were a role model um and well, there, were, there were so many when I came in I was the 32nd female and remember today I wrote down, I was writing down every name of every woman I still remembered in the police department. And I, um, and it's funny, I was thinking about that because I got to 28 because I knew I was number 32. I asked when I came in what number I was because that was 83. And there had only been women in since, uh, since 75. And there were only just a couple every year. And uh, in that time period, you know, that when you're talking about 1500 male officers and their 32 women the percentage was very low but when i left we were still at only we were only at 10 percent women in the police department and i was trying to look online today to see what uh percentage they're at i don't i don't believe they've ever made it past 12 percent of the department as female they just haven't been able to uh grow those numbers any more than that um and that's a it's a tough thing because women tend to bring for the most part, they bring uh, an ability to bring calming to a situation in 
in violent situations, they tend to, studies have shown, this is not me being sexist at all, it's actually the studies that, they've, that they have they've done through PERF and some of our, our national studies that women tend to bring a calming agent into certain things. And on our hostage negotiation teams, there were actually, we were, we were actually dead set even. There was, there was an equal part of um, male and female counterparts on every single team. We had multiple teams and they were all uh, matched up because we found even in the very beginning of doing that, that there was uh, that, uh, that sort of balance was very good for situations. Mm. We could be able to draw upon each other's strengths and, and ability to do things. And Letha, um, looking back, I guess, as, as time has changed and, and seeing after you left, all of the change happened at HPD uh, with leadership, uh, even with, with officers coming forward and speaking about uh, you know, problems within in, in the force and uh, complaints about other leaders. Um, what are your thoughts, if you would like to share about you know, all the things that have happened um, and is it now heading for the better? Because you know, we just appointed a new chief. Um, if you could share your thoughts. Well, Joe Logan was a detective in robbery when I was there. Uh, and just before he ended up leaving, like at 9-11, when they pulled him to go active duty, he had been in robbery. So, I mean, I experienced him as a detective. He was a kick-ass detective. And I'm a, kind of a detective snob. So um, I appreciated his ability to be a good detective and manage scenes and manage caseloads. That's a, that's. Uh, and also when you're a detective, yes, you have to get along with prosecutors. So those skills that I've seen him do uh, and be able to manage units underneath him, he would have to manage the plainclothes units that were doing things for him. Uh, it was a little microcosm of what he's gonna be doing in a bigger area. And I have, I've got hope for our department that this will be a better thing. Uh, we always wanna have hope and uh, for our future. Uh, our department, any, every single officer that took that oath continues to hold up that oath for the rest of their lives. You take an oath and you keep it. And it is a family. And just as our biological families can sometimes be convoluted and crazy and complicated, so is our police family. Uh, oh, heck, news family is pretty complicated as well. We can go into the drama in the newsroom. I've seen plenty of drama around your newsroom. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's all like that. I mean, because we're all part of the community. We all come in with our experiences and our deficits and our gifts, and and we, you know, we're all on this bus of life together, and the bus just kind of bumps along sometimes. Hit a pothole, and you're kind of stuck for a while, but then you you know get a fix to keep moving. So I'm hoping that this is a moving time, and I have. Every bit of hope for our department that this is going to be an, a good turning point, and and you know, think good thoughts for all of them, and give them a chance to be able to move them move them forward. So, time will tell. And what about your reaction to seeing, um, of course, when you were an investigator with the Ethics Commission, you started to investigate the Kealohas, the FBI, then took the case and started moving forward and you saw the outcome of that? Well, that, um, that was a um, very difficult thing to be involved in because you don't wanna ever be investigating your family 
uh, and that was my family, but, but it was my job. Uh, and the ethics commission, you actually take an oath when you get in there. And that's one of the reasons I can't tell you a lot about the, the very big details because the ethics commission laws say that they are, were precluded from speaking about it. The caveat on that is that anything that's already been out in the news or in the, or in the, the, uh, in the court system already is fair game. Uh, so in this particular case, most of my case, there's some nuances to the case that never came forward, but uh, you got the gist of it because uh, the 17 boxes of evidence that I sent to the, the FBI before they fired me or not renewed my contract was what I could do to be able to support justice in our community. And the outcome of this, you know, convictions, you know, Louis in jail for eight years and Catherine 13, plus the other officers that, you know, were held accountable. You know, sad, very sad. People in such a high level of position of trust and influence to be misused that power. It's heartbreaking, heartbreaking, disappointing. I almost feel like, um, you know, since you left HPD, there's a big part of HPD that's still within you, whether it be your, your even your instincts and even the way that you view the world today, is that a blessing or is that a curse? <laughs> because I mean, I mean, I feel like, but at the same time, it's it's also, I mean, it's a blessing because you can you can see and and you understand things more clearly, right? The reason why maybe things are the way they are. Uh, I don't know. I'll let you speak. Well, it, it depends on the day, you know. I mean, it's. Um, and it, um, I, I laugh because of my new family at OTS, the, the bus company is, um, they tend to be more non-confrontive. And then I broke up laughing because they said, you hired me, you know, what was wrong with you? You know, um, so having to learn a different culture and blend in with that when um, I'm walking down and we're having, we're, we've been doing a lot of planning on, um, uh, different sorts of safety things. And uh, unfortunately, our safety director has to hear my two cents about everything because I just can't turn it off. And uh, that's been, um, well, that's a gift in one way because then, then I can still share what I know and um, help the rest of my my people. But it's, uh, it's also probably annoys the heck out of all of them. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously you couldn't let it go because you started your own company. Well, I did that because I couldn't get a job. I, <laughs> I was going like, what am I going to do? I like to work. You know? <laughs> and then here I, here I get my license and then I start my company and then I can't even get insurance because I'm still being sued. It was so <gasps> the things that I dealt with. I just had to keep, I just had to keep crawling up over the rocks and then go like, oh, I'll teach some more. I'll teach some more until this, you know, finally writes itself. I knew it was going to write itself. It was the, the truth would come out. I believe in the process. The process of justice works. Maybe not every single time, but I believed in this process. And I'm so thankful for they're not done. This is not done. It's I'm there's another chapter in all this. Uh, it's you know, stay tuned as it was on the news. Stay tuned. Right. No, it's hopeful to see, it gives us hope to see that someone like you is still pushing and doing everything for the justice of all. Sometimes I lose faith in, in what's going on when you, you see the news, read the paper. It's disheartening, right? Like, 
It is, but you've got to keep hope. You've got to keep hope. And we do it one person at a time by doing the That's right you, thing. That's you, Letha. That's you. You're helping us get that. You yeah. just got to encourage people. You got to encourage them. You got to smile at those officers that drive by you. You know. Yeah. So like I was going to say, like how, do, how can us common citizens in this community every day, how can we help bring goodness into this community, uh, rightness and what what can what can the common person do here to just make this community a better place? Hawaii is always beautiful. We'd like to keep it that way. What would you recommend? Uh, the first thing is to um, really drive nicely. Yeah. I like that. That makes sense. <laughs> yes, please. No, I'm serious. I'm not. I'm I not agree. a joke because when it's you are true. driving, you are you have an influence of how many people did you pass by, and the manner in which you drive, the attitude with which you drive the politeness and watching the traffic and watching who's coming near you and where are those bikes, those poor guys on bikes that are, you know, getting their exercise and we don't want to run them over, you know, and, and they're trying to avoid potholes that, you know, it's like more, more potholes than there are streets. You know? I mean, that is one little thing that you can do. Obey the traffic laws. If a police officer is pulling you over, move over. If you hear sirens, move over, move over, you know, get out of the way, let them do their job. You know, when you when you see all of our first responders out there, get out of the way, send them good energy, and then if they ask you to do something, answer. If they ask you a question about a case, tell them what you know. If something goes on and you need to hold somebody accountable, go to court, hold them accountable. Don't say you're, it's too hard to go. If, if everybody says it's too hard to go and it's going to take up too much time, and then you wonder why the particular neighbor you had from hell it keeps getting away with it where well, you have nobody to blame but yourself and throw a shaka if they let you in the lane right that's right let's always do that it's missing yeah, a smile yeah but make sure they know it's a shaka and not something else yeah. <laughs> 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 it's so sensitive they misunderstand and then they're you're in the middle of road rage what's up with that <laughs> Well, I was, I was actually thinking about all the different things that went on in my career. And um, I actually went through and did a timeline because I thought as I was pondering that today and thinking about all the different things that went on in my career and the, the fun things that I got to do. I was there at a time when we started to use DNA to solve crimes. I was there when we started using cell phones. And then I was there when we started using um, digital mugs. And of course, I got to work the Crime Server program. How lucky am I that I got to work that program? Some of the biggest cases of my career, you know, were all involved about uh, technology. Um, so we ended up getting a tip that came in that there was a guy coming through the airport that had $100,000 cash in a suitcase. So it was a Crime Server tip, and it was a great tip. They really had a really good description of the guy. And um, and we sent out in those days, we were still doing um, the knock and talk with the people at the airport. It was a particular time where you could stop anybody, stop and talk. And when we got to that particular guy and our team rolled up on him, he dropped the suitcase, abandoned it and left. Well, in those days we could take it in as evidence, serve the search warrant on it. And sure enough, there was all the money. That money was then turned over to asset forfeiture. And at that point, the digital mug system had just come into place, but we didn't have any money in our budget to put it in. So I wrote the grant for the asset forfeiture to be able to get that hundred grand to pay for the digital mug system that came in for driver's license and state IDs. 
which we were then able to roll into all of our cases. Prior to that, you had to go and stand in front of Polaroid with a card and, and your money and be able to pick up a, a something that you had to come in and then you had to cut out other pictures to do it. By then we were moving into, it was a very, very um, lengthy process to be able to do anything. So that, that was a really fun case. And then of course the Batalona case, that was, uh, that was one of the, the big cases that was during my career. And then I got to work on, that was a very, that was a fascinating case to work on. And what got even more strange in that case is it turns out that Batalona is actually my husband's cousin. And I didn't know that. So here I'm working a case that I have no idea that my, you know, everybody's related in Hawaii. I saved Hawaii by coming from Minnesota because I brought in <laughs> <laughs> Save your lives, okay. But everybody's related, you know, everybody's related. So it turned out that Batalona was actually a, a, a first cousin on the Dakaris side of the family, but David didn't know him as a first cousin. The, the Dakaris side of the family hadn't done much to stay in touch with one another. But an, another side story on that case is that they were doing, they were actually checking out all sorts of different banks all over the island because they were trying to figure out where they were gonna go. The week before they did the, the Kahala Mall case, they had gone to Ala Moana. At Ala Moana Bank of Hawaii, they had actually gone to do a surveillance there. They were checking it out because that's where they were gonna hit. But it turned out another Dakaris, uh, Braddock Dakaris, who was working as a teller at Bank of Hawaii recognized recognized Batalona and said, hey, cuz, what you doing? And because <laughs> he recognized him, they didn't hit the Alamoana Bank. Do you, do you know how many people would have been killed if they would have actually done that case? Because Kahala Mall has much less uh, foot traffic and much less people going to the bank. And the 45 rounds that were done in you know, two minutes time, uh, it was such a, such a miracle that nobody was killed in that particular case, especially the officer, Fred, Fred Roscoff. It's a miracle that they ended up somewhere else, all because he ended up being seen by a cousin who recognized him, who knew he'd ID him if they came back in. You know, there's so many cool stories that go on, you know, uh, like that. And then I was at Crime Stoppers. Oh, and when we arrested him, the technology we used to arrest him, we used GPS. The GPS, that was the first time we used interlocking signals on the GPS to be able to show where they were. This is 1918, or excuse me, 1999. We're not, now remember cell phones have only been around nine years. This is the first time we used GPS locations <laughs> to be able to narrow down where he was, which he was in a back of a truck at the Pecos River Cafe in Pearl City when, we, when they converged on him. Uh, but we were able to get the towers to be able to move it into a, an area close enough where all the bodies were able to come in and get him. Um, that was really cool to be able to use technology and all that. And then three years later, when he escaped, he escaped and it was a crime stopper tip. And I was working that day with my staff and he was on a bus, which cracks me up too, because that bus driver is still a bus driver. And here I'm at the bus now. And we picked him up off of the bus <laughs> on a tip. crime stopper tip. You know, that was just so cool. So it's been really fun to see how all those different things work, the different technologies that came in and the things that I got to see that changed over time. And 
an enhanced 911. I became the lieutenant in, in dispatch and was there when we did enhanced 911 and how we'd be able to call back and, and be able to find people because we had their phone numbers and we knew their addresses and we were able to get them quicker service when they needed us. It was so exciting to see those changes that were going on. And you know, the changes continue to to grow in our community as we as we adopt more things that are technologically advanced. Drones are a big thing today. They're going to definitely be a, a definitely going to be a huge asset for law enforcement, um, especially drones in situations like a hostage situation or a shooting situation. Uh, to be able to give more intel and more you know eyes on an area without putting officers and anybody else in, in danger's way. So those are you know things that we're doing today that are pretty darn exciting. Yeah, Lisa, you've had a fascinating career and you have really sparked positive change. I mean, you, whether you know it or not, I mean, you really helped us be safer. Um, you know, and that's why I miss you on Crime Stoppers because you would offer those tips. You would tell it like how it is. You were very just like direct and, and you know, I, I miss, I miss you. I miss that about you. Um, and, you know, here I am, I'm like listening to you reminisce and I'm like, geez, I wonder if you, you stay up late when, when there are cases that are happening today and you're so intrigued by them. I wonder if you're like, oh my gosh, I mean, fascinated because I mean, in this day and age too, people are capturing, um, you know, witnesses are able to capture what happens and the crime, you know, on their cell phones. And then now it's, and then it's posted on social media, which get, gets more tips you know, that come in more rapidly. So it's definitely changed a lot, you know, with the public. Yeah. I mean, we moved from, it was a big deal when we offered to be able to get email tips. It was a big deal when we got, uh, we, we taught people how to call on cell phones for, you know, pound, we had a, we had a pound number we could put, you know, I mean, and now people can send in tips you know, to 911, you know, I mean, the things that they're doing today as they're doing, it's, it's just really exciting. I, when I'm, when something is going on and I'm in my, my car and they go by me, the first thing I do is I try to flip for my radio that doesn't exist in my car. <laughs> okay. Because it is a subsidized vehicle. You have the radio and the sirens. I miss the radio. I miss the sirens. I'm I miss the light. I miss being able to flip all those suckers. And my call sign um, went just before I retired was 11. So number one is for the chief. I was up in the chief's office by that time. So 11. So you call, when you call 11 to central, they listen. It's so exciting. <laughs> I miss that, you know, or, or when you're a detective, 25, 2,500 to central. Yeah. You know, I miss that. I, I, I really do. I, I've missed law enforcement greatly. It was a, uh, my family needed me at the time I retired. It was, uh, we had some needs going on. My father-in-law was dying and I, I retired to be able to take care of him. And I am so thankful for the time that I had with him. He was, he was so much fun. And, uh, you know, I had a, another year to be able to spend with him before he, he died. And then my mom ended up getting sick right after that. So then I had the next year taking care of my mom and that was a blessing as well. So, you know, Times, you know, things come in and change happens in your life for a reason, and you have to embrace that and trust that there's a reason things are moving on and, and that it'll just keep moving. Gosh, I find that so inspiring listening to you. Yeah, well, you have a calming voice too, so I can see why people calm down in hostage situations with you. But, but just hearing all of that, is, it's inspiring because I'm in awe of that skill, you know, a good, um, 
police officer, I, I think it's just this ultimate balance of like feminine and masculine, just being able to kind of balance that out and use it, use the different skills when you need to. And the other thing is I keep thinking is how grateful, you know, for all the things that you're doing that are so good, but for all of the quote unquote bullets that you've helped us as a community avoid, right? We won't, we won't ever be able to measure that, but you've helped you know, I'm sure help help as a community and certain specific people avoid dangerous things happening, life-threatening things happening to them. So thank you for that too, right? That's so inspiring. I was looking at my sex assault cases because many of them were serial rapists. And um, I never wanted to go to homicide uh, because I stayed in sex assaults because you're more likely to get a serial murderer from a serial rapist. So I felt strongly that if I could keep catching the rapists, that we would not have serial murders here. Um, there were other women like Cheryl Sunia and um, a number, there were Kathy Osborne, there were a number of other gals that, that we all came in very similar time zones and they went on to homicide and I admired them, but I didn't want to go down that road because I wanted to still deal with um, the people that were alive and stop mm -hmm. it before I got there. Yeah, that's a great example of just staying upstream of things, right? That's what I felt. That was my my take on it, and uh, I was I was looking at some of my old cases today because it, you, you know I pulled out my the prosecutors write you a for every case that you bring in that goes to trial they write you a review, and so I pulled out my files today and I was reading my my hundred I had over hundred cases that went to trial and reading how many people went to jail and what their sentence was. And, um, and thinking about that matter, one of the cases, uh, it was a case called the Wilding. It was a, there were multiple cases that occurred and it happened out of um, the downtown, um, the downtown park area. And one of the victims in that particular case was a, the editor for the Star, uh, Star Tribune at the time, she was the victim. And she ended up becoming a friend. She's in hospice today. As a matter of fact, we are still friends today and she's in hospice care today. And I've stayed in touch with many of the different people that um, there are many people that entered my life through cases that are still in my life today because of just the way things worked out. Uh, and I'm so thankful for you know, the relationships that I have. And well, and reporters, look at you, Stephanie. I mean, I was so blessed with I mean, there are many people in the newsroom, Brenda, there I'm still friends with so many of the people in the, you know, the Cheryl Turboville. I think about all those different people that have, you know, been in my life and in my Rod Antone. I, I mean, I could go on and on about all the different people that, you know, I met and have stayed an active part of my life. And I'm so thankful for that because um, when you meet somebody that's a treasure, whether they're in media or law enforcement or teaching or business or wherever they are you should you know hold them close to you and keep them with you uh, to build that synergy for the community and you never know where you're going to be able to connect and reconnect and do something good for for our our, you know, our beautiful home that we live in here well yeah. Lisa you know it, it's a reflection of you right you said they're mm -hmm. treasures I think you're a treasure that people we don't know you know we don't know the behind the scenes hard work and the time you put away from your family and your own emotions into doing what you do to achieve justice in the society. I hope there's more of you out there. And I hope those listening will be inspired to be that, that, that beacon of hope because I think you give us hope that 
there's goodness out there and we can um, make our community safer and better. You know, there's hope. So thank you for that, Lisa. Yeah. Yeah, even though you've, you know, you're not there anymore and you are in a new position, I think you've left uh, quite an impression and, and left your mark, you know, in the community. And I think that has positive growth and it only just makes things better because of what you did for, for them and, and for us. And just thanks again for joining us because I'm like, you know, come on let's let's talk about you know your career and just you know what you've done in the community and I'm just so glad that you took the time out to be here with us you know I just want to make sure that we let folks know I mean so are you available to be hired if we do want a stellar private investigator actually I bid on a case today as a matter of fact so yes I, I work uh, I'm I'm quite selective in my cases these days because my full-time job at OTS is um, pretty demanding. Uh, and you know, with many different things that are going on in our community, uh, discrimination is a very important thing uh, in workplace violence and things like that. Uh, people are upset. So um, those are the sorts of cases I tend to be getting most of. So yes, um, I, I'm, I haven't been blogging too much on my website because I've been kind of busy, but usually I love to write and post things um, on my own website because this is fun stuff. Work yeah. is fun. And what's that website if you could share with us? Oh, it's effectiveinvestigations.com. So it's just my name, my company. So if they need someone, I'd be happy to help. All right. You heard it here on Mothership. It's EffectiveInvestigations.com. Find Letha DeCaris. And also we'll be looking out for many more great things coming from you. And we wish you and your Ohana and family all the best. Thanks for Thank having you. Me. Yes. Thank you so much, Letha. Aloha, everybody. And take care and be safe out there. Yes.